0: You're listening to Comedy Central. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Today is Tuesday, the 1st of December. We made it to December! Which means there's only 50 days left until Donald Trump leaves the White House and has to start doing his own laundry again. Anyway, coming up on tonight's show, Melania saves Christmas, space aliens are stealing our ideas, and Rosie Perez joins me on the show. So let's do this, people. Welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world. This is The Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Right now, it feels like the only story that matters every day is the coronavirus. It's taken over all of our news, all of our attention, you know, like like some sort of virus. But believe it or not, there is still a ton of other news going on in the world right now. So let's catch up on some of it in today's edition of Headlines. Let's kick it off with Melania Trump, first lady of the United States and the only Trump family member who's already in prison. You might remember that the last time Melania made news, it was because an ex-friend of hers leaked a recording of her, which made her sound a lot like a Slovenian Scrooge. I'm working like ask my ass. I know Christmas stuff that, you know, who gives a f about Christmas stuff and decoration, but I need to do it, right? Okay. I think we can all agree. That is not a good look, especially in America. The only decorations Americans love more than Christmas are those candles that smell like desserts and those bowls of dry flowers that look like a snack. They are not a snack. So After that leaked recording came out, it was obviously important that this year, Melania made it clear that she really, really does give a about Christmas. And it looks like she rose to the occasion.
1: And she may have less than two months to
2: go in the White House, but Melania Trump is decking the halls. Today, the First Lady unveiled this year's White House Christmas decorations, and she avoided any controversy with a traditionally festive look.
0: Just released video from First Lady Melania shows
1: the halls filled with festive decorations. The theme for her final holiday season at the White House is America the Beautiful. Each room has its own color scheme, and the Christmas trees are adorned with crafts, made by children from all 50 states. There are plenty of traditional style decorations of trees with white lights and red ornaments. There's also a village hospital to honor frontline workers amid the pandemic.
0: Oh, they even have a little ornament hospital. Given how crowded the real hospitals are right now, that one better get ready to start taking tiny patients. But on the real though, I think that's a beautiful tribute to healthcare providers. I mean, It is a little strange that the Christmas decorations acknowledge COVID more than the administration has, but still, it is something. But at the same time, I kind of feel bad for Melania. Yeah, because I think she was right in the first place. No one cares that much about Christmas decorations. And before you say, oh, you do, yeah, 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 you say that, but you have one tree. She has to decorate the entire White House. If you had to decorate a hundred rooms, you'd also end up being like, these Christmas stuff. But now, because she was busted, Melania has to be more Christmas than even Mariah Carey. Are you happy people now? It looks like Christmas threw up all over my house. And you can tell this thing got to her because she definitely went more traditional this year with the decorations. I mean, remember 2018? Those Christmas trees that she dyed with goat blood? And 2017, whew, that was even crazier. She just spray painted Santa's not real on the walls. That was was pretty out there. But let's move on from the Trump administration to another endangered species sea turtles, because contrary to popular belief, being a turtle is not easy, my friends. I mean, yeah, that shell keeps predators out, but it also makes it hard to let anyone in. But luckily this week, some of these little guys caught a little break. Well, it's not only people who flock to Florida. In cold weather, 40 sea turtles were flown to the Florida Keys from Cape Cod yesterday after suffering what's known as cold stunning after they were exposed to frigid water for too long. The Kemp's Ridley sea turtles are considered a critically endangered species. A group of private pilots called Turtles Fly Too donated their time, aircraft, and fuel to help the cold-blooded creatures recover. The turtles will be returned to the ocean in time for mating season. Tell me, that is not adorable. These turtles were freezing, but now because they're in Florida, they're nice and warm, and they all have STDs. And did you see them getting put into that banana box to fly? Oh, they look like a little bunch of Spirit Airlines customers. Spirit Airlines, even the turtles don't get enough legroom. I will say though, this whole flying them somewhere else is gonna make a lot of other animals jealous. Cause there was probably a duck migrating that looked in the plane like, oh hell no, I gotta fly myself? In fact, I'm a little jealous. I mean, I'm freezing my ass off too, but nobody's flying me down to Florida for free. I also wanna go spread COVID in the club. <laughs> I will say though, this story really gives you an interesting insight into our society. Because if a turtle gets flown down to warmer weather, they call that preservation. But if an Instagram model gets the same thing, she's called a hoe. Double standard much? Moving on from the ocean to the desert and the big mystery that has everyone talking.
1: The mystery of the silver monolith that seemed to appear out of nowhere in the Utah desert has deepened. It has now mysteriously disappeared. It's not known who removed it. So do we think it's aliens? It's aliens, isn't it? Got to be. <laughs> if if you weren't thinking that this was aliens, you may now. I think it's aliens. Yeah.
0: <laughs> if aliens are going to come down to Earth, 2020 would be yes. the year, though, right? This would be the one. Okay, people, I can't believe I have to say this, but clearly this is not aliens, right? This is somebody ripping off 2001 A Space Odyssey. Unless it is aliens and they're ripping off 2001? That would be really depressing. Imagine if you found out that aliens just get all their ideas from watching our movies, you know? They're going to make contact with humans and be like, I am Glornax, the wise and this is my wife. But here's my question. Why are we so desperate to discover aliens, guys? Hm? Do you know how much crazy shit is already down on Earth? Have you guys seen a platypus? Have you seen a volcano? I mean, just look at this fish. Look at this fish and tell me it doesn't look like an alien that's about to torture Princess Leia.
1: And now, your highness, we will
0: discuss the location of your hidden rebel base. And if this is supposed to be some abstract art, then you know what? It belongs in the desert. Keep that garbage out of sight. I'm tired of artists putting up random shit and then saying, oh, it's a comment on the human condition. No, it's a spoon. Save the space for art that actually speaks to the mysteries of life and nature. You know, like those dogs playing poker. What were they playing for? Was it high stakes? I will say though, it is really strange that this monolith just disappeared without a trace because now where it's gone, we'll never know. Uh, where do you want us to put this giant slab thing? Yeah, you could put it in the bedroom, please. Thank you. We'll just never know. Moving on to the other global pandemic that just won't go away, racism. We all know how videos of police brutality have led to the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement here in the United States. But it turns out similar uprisings are happening all over the world, most recently in France.
1: French politicians are to rewrite part of a controversial security bill amid national outrage over a police assault on a black man. Evidence of the officers beating music producer Michel Zeckler in his Paris studio was captured on CCTV. There have been several protests in Paris and other cities across the country against Article 24 of the bill, which will regulate how people share film or photos of police. Critics fear the new law could stop people exposing police brutality. So it
0: turns out France was about to pass a bill that outlawed sharing videos of the police. But now that the police were caught on video beating an unarmed black man, they're going to try and rewrite that bill. So in a way, that was very good timing on that beating. Because imagine if it had happened after the law had passed, that guy would have been like, they beat me for being black. Oh no, do you have video? No, because it's illegal to have video. Ah, too bad. Without the video, it did not happen. You can't say it happened, but we don't know without the video. <laughs> but this just goes to show you, whether it's America, France, or Nigeria, the official government line is always that police brutality is not a problem. Then time and time again, we discover video evidence that shows otherwise. So it's really no surprise that the French government wanted to ban filming. I mean, it's easier to gaslight the public when there's no evidence to the contrary, but that's exactly why the French need to be able to film their police so that they can prove this. And because France makes better police brutality videos. I mean, they've got artistic angles, you know, the black and whites, the melancholy music underneath. It's very sophisticated. And finally, we are now about one month away from the first dose of the coronavirus vaccine. I know, crazy, right? It feels like it was just yesterday when we were punching grannies for toilet paper, but it'll still be at least six months before there's enough vaccine for everybody, which means the fight is now on to elbow your way to the front of the line.
1: Today, a CDC advisory panel is meeting to vote on recommendations about who will get the vaccines first once they're approved by the FDA. With only enough medicine for about 20 million people expected by the end of this year, authorities are having to prioritize. Already, health officials have said that seniors with underlying health conditions and doctors who treat COVID patients should be put at the front of the line, will ultimately be up to state and local officials to choose where the doses go first.
0: Ooh, this is gonna be the big drama of 2021. Who is gonna get priority for the vaccine? Because look, everyone agrees that the first groups who should get this vaccine should be the frontline healthcare workers, right? Then should be people named Trevor, then seniors. Very important to protect our seniors. Then people named Trevor again, I mean, in case the first time didn't take, and then we protect those who have pre exit like, you know, the people. We just gotta get the order right. And I know they're gonna prioritize people based on risk and health, but if you ask me, America has already figured out the best way to decide how to distribute rewards. And that's right. I'm talking about vaccine ninja warrior. Oh yeah, who wants to survive? All right, we're gonna take a quick break, but when we come back, Joe Biden is selecting his cabinet. Meanwhile, Donald Trump is fleecing his fans. Stay tuned to find out how. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. For the past month, The two big stories in politics have been Joe Biden preparing to step into the presidency without breaking more bones, and Donald Trump refusing to step down from the presidency because he insists on keeping the White House Hulu account. So, let's see where things stand in our somehow still ongoing coverage of Votegasm 2020. Let's begin with President-elect Biden. America's Control-Alt-Delete. He's been assembling his new administration and it looks like he's putting his best foot forward. Well, I guess it's his only working foot, but it's still pretty impressive.
1: President-elect Joe Biden is unveiling key members of his foreign policy and national security team today. The players are familiar from the Obama administration and notable for their diversity. If confirmed, Alejandra Mayorkas will be the first Latino and immigrant to serve as Secretary of Homeland Security. Avril Haines will be the first female director of national intelligence. And Linda Thomas-Greenfield, a career diplomat, is nominated to represent the United States at the UN. Mr. Biden, also announced his new White House communications team. It is a diverse all-female group, including several mothers of young kids.
0: Now that is progressive, an all-women communications team and a national security team that is racially diverse. People all over the Middle East are gonna be like, what an honor, what an honor to be bombed by such a woke administration. And a communications team of all women will be a refreshing change because let's be honest, guys, Men are always lying about size to try and impress people. But don't be fooled. This team isn't as diverse as it seems on the surface. For example, all of these people have experience in their fields. Yeah, everyone's experienced. The Trump administration would never have tolerated this kind of discrimination against incompetence. Shame on you, Joe Biden, shame on you. Meanwhile, on the other side of reality, Donald Trump's attempt to cling to office faced another setback yesterday when Wisconsin and Arizona became the latest states to formally certify Biden's victory. And the Arizona ceremony happened at a particularly awkward moment for Donald Trump. As the governor was
1: signing the certification documents, his cell phone buzzed with the ringtone of hail to the chief. Ducey has previously said he set that song for calls coming from the White House. This time, he muted the phone and set it aside as he signed documents that made Trump's loss official.
0: Whoo! That is cold. Sending the president of the United States to voicemail like he's spam? which he is, but still. You know Fox and Friends were watching this like, oh, that's a good trick. We, we can just not answer before. We gotta try that. And you know what made this move especially gangster? Is that he knew Trump was watching him on live TV. We've all had that moment where we think somebody's ignoring our call or our text, but to actually see it, to see him look at his phone, see your name, and then put it away, ooh, that had to hurt. Trump was probably sitting there like, this is so painful. I've got to call Melania and tell her how bad it hurts. (laughs) Ah, I guess Melania also can't come to the phone right now. And as upsetting as those losses are for Trump, it's even more frustrating for Trump supporters because they must be wondering how their guy can possibly still be losing, especially after they've donated tons of money for the legal battles against the rigged election. Well, it turns out that that's not where all the money may be actually going. The president's
1: unfounded claims of voter fraud and misinformation surrounding the 2020 election are proving to be lucrative for Team Trump and his allies. A source tells CNN the president and his political operation have raised more than $170 million since election day. Now, a fraction of this money will likely go to fund whatever is left of the president's legal fight here, but most of this money, there is very few restrictions on any of this, and most of it will likely go to fund the president's own personal activities he can take that, uh, that piggy bank with him for whatever he wants to do in the future.
0: oh ho, ho 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 I see you, Donald! I see you! Here we were, all thinking that you were really challenging the election results. Shit, you were just hustling. Look at this man. Look at this dude. Even at the very end of his presidency, Donald Trump is grifting his own supporters out of their money. I guess the one thing he doesn't need to recount is his balls, because... Clearly, this man has a massive pair to go out like this. I mean, damn, we all knew that he'd probably grift hard on his way out, but hustling $170 million from his own supporters? Whew. It's one thing to steal all the shampoo bottles from the hotel, but well, Trump, he's taking the piano from the lobby and the indoor pool with him. All right, when we come back, I'll be talking with Ernest Klein about his sequel to the smash hit Ready Player One, and Rosie Perez is joining us on the show, so stick around. <laughs> Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with best-selling author, Ernest Klein. We talked about his highly anticipated sequel, Ready Player Two. Ernie Klein, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Oh, thank you for having me, I'm a big fan. Uh, I am a major fan of yours, not just because of um, the work that you've done, but because of the world you created with the work that you've done, and because of how, um, I-, I almost wanna say, I guess how much, truth-telling you told, you know, even in telling a future story, it feels like you've told the truth about the present. Ready Player One was a smash hit, you know, one of the best-selling books of all time, and the movie was a smash hit as well, and now Ready Player Two is a long-awaited sequel. For those who don't know, it's the story of a not-too-distant future where everybody basically lives in a virtual world. No one wants to live outdoors, no one wants to do anything anymore, and our true pleasure is garnered by living inside this virtual reality, which, Might've seemed far-fetched when you wrote it, but it seems like we're edging closer and closer to that.
1: It does. Uh, It it was really shocking to me how quickly a lot of the predictions that I made, especially about virtual reality and the uh, adoption of virtual reality technology, how quickly that happened. Uh, uh, It's only been nine years since Ready Player One was published and there was not uh, virtual reality uh, headsets available uh, when the book came out. And now there's a bunch of different competing brands and, uh, and I use virtual reality all the time. What, what I loved about the book is,
0: you wrote about what is many per, many people's childhood dream, you know, living in a virtual reality, creating an avatar of yourself, flying, becoming a dragon, you know, becoming like a, an iron giant, whatever it is. But what I loved about it is, the fantasy is couched in the reality of, uh, you know, in and around the toll that it has on human beings. We see like real life people not knowing how to interact. We see people just like addicted to like the social media side of this thing and to the world where they can be somebody else. You love, you clearly love the science fiction. You clearly love, I mean, it's not even fiction anymore, but you love this world. But at the same time, you're always really careful about making it seem like a complete fantasy. Talk me through how you play with that and why you think it's so important to keep reminding the reader of how dangerous this technology could be.
1: Uh, that's a great question. I feel like all of our technology is potentially dangerous. It just depends on how we use it. And uh, and sometimes the um, perils of that technology don't become apparent uh, right away. Like social media is relatively new, like 10, 10, 15 years. And only now are we beginning to see the huge uh, sociological ramifications that it can have. Uh, and also just the way it can affect people personally. Uh, and that's true of the Internet uh, uh in total. like I think it, is, it drastically altered our lives, and it's drastically changed the way people interact uh, with each other in both good and bad ways. So I always wanted to show both sides of the technology, and also just the addictive nature of, uh, if something's really enjoyable and really fun, the impulse is to do it to excess. And so um, I always try to show, you know, the characters struggling to, to find balance with their love of technology, which is something that I do in my own life.
0: One of the biggest reasons I'm a fan of your work is that you did something that I've always missed in the world of science fiction and fantasy for so long, and that is you have diversity. Like every fantasy story, I'd just be like, wow, okay, so there's just like no people of color in these fantasy worlds, but you have a diverse cast of characters. And what I love is it's not forced. You're just talking about real people who play video games, whether it's, you know, Japanese kids or whether it's a black woman who's struggling with being LGBTQIA in this world. And she's going like, what is my identity in the real world and the fake world? You know, so, so my question to you is like, why, how did that come about? Cause it seemed so natural. It doesn't seem like you're, you know, bowing to anything but it, it really informs the story and the characters.
1: Thank you. Well, that's part of my worldview and part of my own experience Uh, being a gamer and kind of venturing out uh uh, it's one of the things i love about the internet and video games is it uh, by creating an avatar you create this alternate idealized version of yourself and you have control over how other people see you the internet can strip away a lot of prejudices that way um uh, by uh, allowing people just to connect as pure intellects you know uh and I think, uh, I think that's been a really um, uh, powerful thing in my own life because uh, you can get to know somebody and feel like you know them really well without ever even being in the same time zone. So I think um, uh, the Internet can be a powerful tool in uh, creating empathy. And that was something else I wanted to explore in Ready Player Two, the idea of uh, this virtual reality technology allowing you to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes. I think a lot of the problems that we're facing right now can be traced back to a lack of empathy and if there was a, uh, it would be great if technology created a way for you to uh, see how other people feel. You know, if people can't do it on their own, it would be great if there was an invention that allowed you to uh, uh, see the world through other people's eyes or walk a mile in their shoes. So um, uh, those are all things I wanted to weave into the story.
0: In Ready Player Two, and I don't want to spoil it for any of the fans because I would hate if someone spoiled it for me, but just the beginning of the story is, what if you could be immersed What if you could feel what was happening in a game? What if you could feel what somebody else was feeling? I mean, like, one of the most interesting parts in the story is where people are now experiencing famine. People are experiencing somebody starving. People are experiencing a war-torn region, and it changes their empathy. But what you also do in Ready Player Two is you show how hard it is to maintain your empathy and and your level of of, of just wanting to understand when you become part of the class, you know? You've, You've got you've got possible who is like this legend who fights the man and wins freedom of the oasis but then very quickly he's the billionaire now he you know wants to make the money wants to make the moves and it's interesting because he's not a villain but we come to realize how quickly you can make the wrong moves if your if your environment changes dramatically and obviously that means like just being super rich you think very differently
1: yes well I and also he's a teenager you know and get kind of becoming the CEO of of, uh, of a huge company like Facebook or Twitter when you're that age and maybe don't have uh, the wisdom to, to handle it. That was something that I knew uh, when I told this story that these characters would all have to confront. And uh, because it's something that the you know CEOs of all our big tech companies are confronting the implications of their technology right now and the, right. the the profound ways that it affects even the way people think. Already the internet is and social media is plugged directly into our brain in some ways and uh, and it's a, you know, uh, affecting everything around us. So uh, I'm glad you picked up on that. That was definitely uh, uh, part of the fun of telling the story.
0: But when you look at the real world, you look at the Amazons, the Facebooks, the Twitters, the you know Snapchats, TikToks, whatever it is, there is no denying that they've consumed a per- certain part of our brains and they're going to inform how we think and even see each other as human beings. When you look at the real world and you look at these CEOs and these companies that they've created, What do you hope that they'll understand about what they've made and what do you hope that they'll apply to these products to try and make them as ethical as possible for the human race? Uh,
1: Well, exactly what you said, Uh, an effort, some effort to uh, make the technology ethical and not uh, not just openly allow uh, this, uh, basically mind control device that they've created to be used by anyone uh, uh, to sow um, uh, the seeds of disinformation. It's just, uh something that we've required of uh like television networks and uh radio networks uh for decades, but this new technology kind of rose up without any uh oversight and now it's uh seems to me that it's spiraled out of control and it's it's kind of still like the wild, wild west. And now we're struggling to rein it in at a time when it's already feels like it might be too late. Yeah.
0: You've got to rein it in before it's too late. Um I could talk to you for hours about this. I mean because the book will will last you for hours, and I hope everybody goes and gets it. If you're a fan of video games, if you're a fan of the future, if you're a fan of the present, you're gonna love it. Well, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much again. Thank you for taking the time. Oh, thank you. Thank you you for writing an amazing story, and for real, thank you for including every single kid who actually plays the video games that they're so often excluded from. So thank you so much for this. Thank you for your time, and um, I'm excited for everyone to read Ready Player Two, and I'm excited for the next film. Oh, thank you so much, Trevor. Don't forget... Ready Player Two is available right now. Don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with multiple award-winning actress, Rosie Perez. We talked about living in the corona times and her brand new miniseries, The Flight Attendant. Rosie Perez, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show.
2: <laughs> Hi, thank you for having me. How you
0: doing? I'm doing good considering everything that's happening in the world. Better now that you're on the show with me. Um, Before we get into the show that is blowing up everywhere and people are loving on HBO Max, The Flight Attendant, I wanted to talk to you about the journey you've had with coronavirus, because for many people, coronavirus is this new thing that has disrupted our lives. Your life has also been disrupted, but not many people can say that they had coronavirus in December of 2019. Talk me through a little bit of that journey.
2: Sure, we were in um, Bangkok and uh, filming The Flight Attendant, and actually it was the last of November. And um, uh, I just immediately, hit me like a ton of bricks, knew something was wrong. I was feverish, I had a horrible cough. Some, it felt like someone was stepping on my chest. And I was very lethargic, and I was very scared. And when I was on set, um, I kept laying down in between takes. Actually, Kaylee Cuckoo uh, Instagrammed a picture of me laying on bed. She came and laid on the bed with me. Nothing happened. But anyway, so, <laughs> <laughs> so um, they called the doctor on set because I, was, I became that weak. And the doctor said that um, I had to rush to the emergency room immediately. Wow. And when I got there, it was like, it was like a movie. I mean, they took my vitals in the waiting room. And then all of a sudden all these people came with all the PP, you know, E and rushed me in and I was getting scared. And the executive producer, Meredith Lavender had come with me as well as my manager, Tark Karanathani. And they're wheeling me in with on, on a gurney. And I said, Oh my God. And then Tarek said, can I go with her? And he, she said, "Are you kin?" He said, "No." And um, I was like, oh, "Stupid! You shouldn't say yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so then Meredith says, "I'm her sister." Now Meredith is blonde, and blue eyed, typical looking white woman. And the 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 doctor looked at me, and I go, "In law." In law. <laughs> and uh, they let her come in, surprisingly so, but she couldn't come in the room that they quarantined me. In. Right, right. And uh, the emergency room doctor had told me they put two IBs. One was a red bag of I don't know what, and the other one was your standard IB. And she was asking me, is it okay? If we... I said, give me everything. And I told her, I said, I feel like I'm dying. And she said, well, we think that you have this new respiratory tract infection that we don't know exactly what it is, but it is coming from, from China. Wow. And a lot of tourists are getting it, but we don't know exactly what it is, but we do know that it, it, it's rapid in the destruction of your body. And I, and I just closed my eyes and I remember seeing just my husband, And my sister and my father, who's deceased, and I said, oh, my God, don't let me die in Bangkok. And she laughed and she goes, you're not going to die. I said, you just told me that doomsday is upon my right." (laughs) And, um, yeah, so they fixed me up, um, you know, well enough that I was able to finally leave the emergency room. And I remember her last words to me was never go outside, never stand in front of another person without a mask. You're not only protecting yourself, but you're protecting others. That's why I have my mask on with you, because I don't want you to make me sick. And what you have is very, very serious. And I said, but what is it? What's the name? She goes, well, we don't know yet. It, it it really is amazing that you
0: not only recovered, that, but then made it a mission to educate other people about how to stay safe. I mean, like... You know, you're a lifelong New Yorker. When you agreed to go to press conferences with Governor Cuomo, when you agreed to be part of these briefings, when you agreed to be part of this, what were you hoping to, to, to help achieve for New York as a whole?
2: For them to wake up, to understand how deadly and how serious this was, and that we had to respect each other. Just like that doctor said to me in Bangkok, mm-hmm. you know? I wanted New Yorkers to respect one another. I wanted Americans to respect one another by wearing a mask. It's just that simple. I've helped the governor, uh, with other things like with his hurricane Maria relief and all of that stuff. But for him to call me, I said, wow, I told my husband, I said, isn't that crazy how the world works? Right. And when I was there at that press conference, I was holding back the emotions. I really was because I didn't want to, to, to have that be the focus. Oh my yeah. Yeah. I know
0: what you mean. I just
2: wanted to be very adult, very mature and say, listen, man, This is real, mask up. It's as simple as that. If that can help, do it, do it. Let's talk about the new show.
0: It is generating quite the buzz and it's a really fun conceit. You know, the flight attendant. When when I saw the title, I was like, oh, this is cute. What is this gonna be, like a romantic comedy? Is this gonna be just like a straight comedy? And it's like, no, this is a dark, but sometimes funny and really gripping show about like a murder mystery. And when the show started, I remember being like, oh, Rosie, this is wonderful. You're playing such a nice character. This is great. But now I'm not so sure. And I don't know what's coming up, because the show, we can't binge it. It comes out weekly. But it seems like you play a really shady character in this world.
2: You will find out. You will find out. That's all I to say. I can't. But Megan is... Uh, my character, Megan Briscoe, she's definitely keeping a big, fat secret. And um, and it's, it's uh, you know... Slowly going to be tearing her apart. And and um also she, you know, I love playing Lee's character because at first the uh executive producers um, you know, had in mind her being a little bit more tough. And I said, no, this woman is menopausal. She hates her life, her middle class life, which is actually fabulous, but she just can't see it. And she, her only friend is Cassie Bowden, Kaylee Koku's character who. Doesn't feel the same way about her. I said, that's pretty sad. That's pretty sad. Right. And without judging her, I wanted to bring something special to it. You know what I mean? And that, I know
0: exactly what you mean, yeah. What attracted you to the show? Why did you go, no, it's Rosie Perez. I'm gonna do the show.
2: Um, A drunk flight attendant that sleeps with first-class passengers and then wakes up uh, next to one of her conquests and he's dead. I was in. But actually, I turned it down. I did, I turned it down initially because I can't stand traveling, I detest it. I hate the whole thing. Really? Yes, I cannot stand it. And the show,
0: weren't the locations around the globe?
2: Yes. That's what Kaylee, Kay, Kaylee, Kaylee Cuco to, to her credit, refused to take no for an answer and met with wow. me. And she said, you know, it's called a flight attendant. You, I said, yes, that's why I'm saying no. And, and we were cracking up and after an hour that was supposed to be 10 minutes, um, she charmed my ass off. She just did it. She did it. But inside I was like, Oh my God, I'm so in, I'm so in. And, you know, and, I'm so glad. I'm so glad she, she, she did that. And, and, um, because we had a blast and everybody on the cast is Stella. Just Stella. They really are. I loved it.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll tell you now, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that she chewed you, you know, chewed your head off for not doing it. I'm glad that she pushed you. I'm glad that you said yes, because it's amazing seeing you, um, on anything, but really in this show has been a ton of fun. I can't wait to see what the secret is. Rosie Perez, thank you so much for joining me on the show.
2: Thank you. Don't
0: forget, The Flight Attendant is available now on HBO Max. Well, that's our show for tonight, but before we go, you may have heard, but uh, there's an important runoff election coming up in Georgia, and if you're watching this from Georgia, I wanted to remind you that the deadline to register to vote online for that election is next Monday, the 7th of December. Now, if you're not in Georgia, you can still help by supporting groups like 18 by Vote that are working to engage young people to vote, especially the estimated 23,000 young people in Georgia who were not eligible before, but are eligible now. So, if you're able to help out in any way, all you have to do is check out the link below. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, wear a mask, and remember, if you wanna be the first in line for that vaccine, just show up coughing. Everyone else will get out of the way.